Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. Pure adrenaline in Dunkin' Donuts coffee at this point. So uh, you're going to get an interesting Steve this week. I like an interesting Steve. Well, you have George and I, which are consummate yeah. podcast professionals. <laughs> We're calm. Calm. Nothing yes. bad is going to happen. Steve, no. this is a safe this zone. This going to be a great show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you learned nothing, Georgia? How many shows have we done? Are you new here? Like, what What gives you that impression that that is an accurate statement by any stretch of the imagination? None, none, really, none. It'll, it'll all, all, be right, fine. all right, all right, all right. Let's get going. It'll I thought this was the show. Fine. This is the show. It's going fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I want to hear you okay, say it, Georgia. Say it. Say it. Okay. Say the words I've always wanted to hear you say. Well, I, I have my own. I have my own starting. <laughs> I can't. Uh-oh. I can't. You know. Okay. Here we go. Uh oh. <laughs> Don't say uh oh before I start. Okay. Hello, Disrupticons. Are you ready for another episode? Wait, don't. No, you can't chuckle. You can't chuckle. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll you be. This is chuckle. all saying in the show, just so you know. This is serious. This is serious podcasting. Okay. Go I'm ahead. very serious. We're, we're, we're I'm serious. I'm inducing pain. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> focus, focus. I'm okay. biting my lip as we, as we, <laughs> right, right now, yeah. use, just for you. Use your anti-terror techniques. Okay, ready. <laughs> Hello, Disrupticons. Are you ready for another episode of Disruption? That's we good. are. Wait, wait. Then you guys have to be like, you know, excited. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh. Yeah, woo! Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're not used to hearing me excited, so I know it's terrifying, but please continue. <laughs> Was that you excited? I didn't even hear you, Steve. I only heard Bree. Okay, okay. Let's start it up. Let's start it up. Bree, you yes. had a special request. For disruption. I, I do have a special request, but before we, we do that this week, I got to say, Steve, we had some fun this weekend. We, we did. had some fun, right? I uh, had fun for the first time in my life. I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> so so I've yeah, both of your parents, I have ethical parents here. So I, I have an ethical question for two parents here. So I went over to Steve's, and we all played Super Smash, and it was a lot of fun. It was. It was and, a lot of fun. And I, I have to tell you, I feel that, like, Parents should include this in the literature when you're trying to talk people into having kids. Like, say, like you can, you you have your own drones. It's like human human bots that will play Super Smash with you because that was a lot of fun. Like constantly defeating your girls at Super Smash, Steve. I enjoyed that. Well, yeah. I don't know. My oldest yeah. was actually, unfortunately, was actually kind of starting to show her own at the end, which is so. I'm, I'm working on the esports scholarship application for her right now. You should because clearly That's we have to. Cultivate this and forget all this math and science crap, and yeah. get onto the Super Smash Brothers uh, mechanical training. I'm gonna, I'm signing up at Gamer Sensei right now, yeah, and uh, getting her, that. getting her signed up for lessons. Like some, yeah. some parents ha- sign their kids up for piano. I'm signing her up for Super Smash. All right, all right. So hey, okay. that's a career. 
do you, do you of do sorts. that, Georgia? Do you do you bring your kids in and like kick their butt at games? Like it's a tough world, kid. <laughs> Welcome to reality, <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> we used to we used to play Halo all together, and my little yeah. one was really little, and he he didn't really know how to do anything, but he didn't want to not be a part of it, and he'd be like, "Who killed me? Who killed me?" <laughs> he'd, be like, he'd be like, "Who killed me?" And then he'd be like, "No, no, no, no say who shot him." Oh my god! He'd be like, "Mommy, did you kill me?" And I'm like, well, I thought you wanted to move to another area. He's like, oh, okay, thank you, mommy. Thank you. We just felt horrible, but we still did it for points. But we felt bad after. So this is like the Halo equivalent of Tiny Tim. You're describing Georgia. Like. <laughs> he was little. He was little. Oh, oh, I don't oh get any God. soup. Okay, please, Master Chief. May I have another? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, all right, exactly. all right. We gotta get serious. We gotta get serious okay. for a minute here. Okay, so so Disrupticons uh, today, uh, as we're recording this, they're four days before the election. Steve, when this goes up, there's gonna be what? Like one. It'll day be the day the before the election when this goes up. Okay. I mean, it goes oh, up Sunday goodness. night, but by the time anyone hears this, it'll be Monday okay. morning. So, so I have a request for you guys. Um, you know, it is really, really, really all on the line right now. Um, you know, this email thing in the United States with uh, you know director. Comey basically sabotaging Hillary Clinton. Um, it's really affected her chances. And, you know, according to some polls, Trump does have a one in three chance of winning. Uh, you know, this is like a one in three chance of if, uh, you know, the United States is going to exist a hundred years from now. Like this is a really, really serious, serious election. So, um, you know, my request to everyone out there, is I am working with the Hillary campaign, and the difference in us winning and losing this campaign is getting out the vote. And for everyone out there um, that's listening to this, I'm really hoping you will take a second, you'll go to the show notes, and you will volunteer an hour or two of your time and help us um, basically call people and get out the vote. It's really easy to do. You can register in just a few minutes. It's um, all it is. Like they, It's all automated. It'll give you numbers. It'll record everything. You just remind people to vote. It's super friendly. Um, you're calling people that have already indicated a high amount of interest in the election. And this really will be the difference in winning or losing. So yeah, I'm telling you, like Hillary's uh, campaign, they're really, really, really counting on our help for this. So um, I know everybody listening to this understands just how big the stakes are at this time around. So please, please, please help us. And and what about like bringing people to vote? Like how? Because I think that that was another issue that we were hearing of like you know getting people to actually be able to make it because some people don't have cars or they can't travel or their their voting station might be really far away from them. Absolutely. So anyone out there that's listening to this, um, I, I too, by the time we go to air, Steve, I will, will include that in the show notes. I don't know what, um, what to recommend right now because I've never gotten that question before, but I'm sure the Hillary campaign has that answer. If you want to volunteer to help drive people around because zip cars are going to be free on that day uh, to get people out oh, to really? vote. Uh, yeah, they just announced that today. Uh, oh, you cool. can go to hillaryclinton.com forward slash volunteer. But if you need a ride to vote, um, you know, please DM the show. We will more than be happy to help you go vote. So, um, yeah, there are no excuses this time. 
We've all got to do it. Make sure you don't have any regrets on November 9th. So the whole show is not going to be serious, but we just have to get that out the way. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you can't do anything else, just make sure that you go and vote no matter what. I mean, if you're in the U.S., you just make sure that you do it. Like I've I've got like this major implementation at work going on next week that's ramping up on Tuesday. And I made sure to get out and do early voting this week to make sure that there were no chances that I was not going to have my vote counted. So that's just make sure to do that. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. Do we want to get to it, Georgia? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so are you into sports and gaming? Because then we have a story for you. So <laughs> NFL, NBA, pff, amateurs. We have something that's really going to get you going and blow regular sports out of the water. Okay, maybe I'm slightly exaggerating on that, but <laughs> Blizzard is building a professional sports league for Overwatch. So... Um, if you enjoy Overwatch or just love watching other people play, this is it. There's going to be teams based around major cities, and they're going to have regional fan bases, so your own cheer section. And this isn't just going to be for fun. They're going to let the most talented people, well, not let, but the most talented people are going to be able to have paid careers playing the games that they love. It's exciting. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is happening because BlizzCon, uh, as we're like, recording yeah, this. Exciting. Yeah. No, it, I, no, actually, I think this is really exciting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been getting pretty, pretty heavy into esports over the last like few months. Um, Hearthstone's kind of a gateway drug for me, but I've been trying to follow a little bit of, you know, a little bit of League of Legends or, or Heroes of the Storm here or there. Activision Blizzard has a division that's entirely devoted to esports, and they already have a number of major tournaments with with multi-million dollar uh, price pools. But the problem that a lot of esports have right now is, uh, first of all, there's been a big uh, a big controversy about how teams and players get paid, uh, particularly over in the League of Legends arena, um, where the, the owners were having issue with um, you know, if they're not placing high consistently, then they're not necessarily making a lot of making enough money to be able to pay their players a living wage that they can practice and become the best. There's a, a number of esports teams that have just gotten out of Hearthstone entirely because that's an individual game. And if, if there's so much variance baked in that you just can't count on a lot of the uh, the consistent performance. And just getting into esports is difficult because you just don't know who to root for. Like a lot of the names are weird. There's, uh, you know, the, the players don't even have, they go by their handles. They don't go by real names. And there's an absence of what they call in regular, I guess, traditional sports of rooting for the laundry where you're rooting for a team because they happen to be in your area and you're rooting for the players because they happen to play on that team, but you don't necessarily have a connection to the individual players. And that's really what esports has been missing. So being able to create a league where the players are going to get paid a regular salary and the teams will be tied to the regions, I think this will make a big difference in being able to get people to be able to connect with a team and follow up with a team and root for a team. So, I mean, Bria, I know that you're probably really excited about getting to root for a boss in sport a boston overwatch team right <laughs> so uh, okay okay i want to be clear i i root for the yankees for one reason and frank is listening <laughs> for one reason is better for my marriage and that's the truth that is the truth when the yankees lose my marriage is bad frank is grouchy <laughs> he is short-tempered he sits on the couch and pouts and i tell you like when the red sox won the world series last time i really 
I really thought he was going I to I sense go some to. happiness. I'm just saying. Yes, he was very happy about that. So we, we, we root for that team that plays football here, whose name I don't remember. We root for them so hard. That would be, the, no that would be the New England Patriots is yes, who that is. Yes, the Patriots, right. Um, we root <laughs> for them. I'm a big Patriots fan, Steve Lewis. Clearly, clearly. You're, you're a huge Patriots fan. I, I will happily cheer for a Boston uh, Overwatch team. But I think the really big news to come out of here is that, A, Blizzard expects uh, Overwatch to really hold on par and be like one of their really big franchises, like StarCraft, uh, like a decade from now. And, you know, to me, that is the really interesting news to come out of this because, like, look at MMOs. There's a really big uh, pattern in MMOs of people going and flocking to an MMO and then just moving on to the next game. Uh, like, remember when the old Republic was the really big hotness? Um, you know, so to really expect a team-based shooter to have that kind of longevity, I mean, Overwatch is doing well now, but expecting it to really be competitive like a decade from now, that to me is the really big gamble here. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to see it. Um, you know, I also am excited about esports because this is one of the, you know, the areas where it just makes sense to not have it gender segregated from the word go, right? Like there's no innate reason other than a terrible culture that a woman's going to be worse <laughs> at this than a guy, right? So, um, yeah, I'm just super excited about it. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess it makes a lot of sense because they, I mean, this is how Blizzard builds their games now. Uh, they build, yeah. they build games that are going to last for a really long time. I mean, Starcraft was one of the original esports games, and people were playing Starcraft competitively in Korea for like years and years after it came out, uh, and ahead of when Starcraft Two came out. One of the most popular esports also is is Counter Strike Go, which is what is that fifteen years old now? Yeah, Counter Strike. Really so um, you know that's the kind of games that that Blizzard tends to build, and they've already got twenty million active users um, as of their financial reporting that came out earlier this week so they just need to be able to keep it fresh and keep people interested but having like a a professional system like this i think could do a, a really great thing because at the end of the day what you need in order to have a healthy esport is you need to have it be viable to be a professional player. And specifically in Hearthstone, that's one of the things that's been a problem lately because uh, the players are not guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination to win enough to get uh, to get part of the prize pool. And a lot of the, the professional players have been dropping into streaming because that's where they make their money because they know that they have they have regular revenue from streamer from uh, subscribers on Twitch and they have they get donations and they make a lot more money from streaming than they do from playing it, but ultimately Blizzard needs those games to be in front of people in order to keep them viable for the amount of investment that they're putting into it so I think it's really smart to be able to do this yeah do you yeah. think that they're going to be able to pay people so that they're going to end up wanting to play professionally instead of just streaming I think that that's what this is supposed to do. It's supposed to, you know, kind of be partnering with individual owners the way that something like the NFL does to be able to to pay them a regular salary and then have, you know, have contracts with them where they're going to get paid regardless of how the team actually performs, probably with bonuses the way that that traditional sports uh, contracts work. So I, I think that having that security will help a lot. And let's be honest, it doesn't take much. Right. Because ultimately, you're telling people that they can play video games for a living, which 
is not a lot to get somebody who's like 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old to go and try out because that's the dream when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. When you're, you know, 25 or 26, maybe not so much, but, uh, you know, there's we see that all the time. So it's just being able to provide them security that maybe their parents don't talk them out of it. It, it should be enough to, to kind of make this viable, I think. I think one of the things that kind of worried me today looking at this is um, I I didn't see some things from Blizzard talked about. Um, they're really important to me. So if you look at why there aren't a lot of women in the um, in the professional fighting game, uh, you know, esports scene, except for Super Smash, um, one of the really big reasons is the culture. Um, in my first GDC I ever went to, uh, and this was not long ago, this was 2011, uh, there was a um, controversy had just come out that one of the most famous uh, women players of Marvel vs. Capcom 3, um, you know, a guy on the team had been playing her and, you know, he said something effective. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I raped that Phoenix. I raped your Phoenix. I just took her and I raped her. Yeah, you just got raped. And it's so beyond inappropriate. And, of course, the people ended up attacking the woman who got that comment, right? Yeah, of course. When, when people said something about it. So what I was really hoping to see from Blizzard, because I saw I saw a lot of really good ideas. I saw, you know, they got 200 sponsors from the word go. Overwatch, like it's a it's a solid game design. It's not a perfect game design, but it's it's good. You see the longevity of it there. But I didn't, you know, this is the same company that has an almost 50-50 player base, yet continually ships these really kind of not great character designs, especially in World of Warcraft. So I didn't really see any steps that they said they were taking towards inclusion. Um, and that makes me sad because I think that's something you've got to really, you know, aim for from the word go. But overall, I think this is, it's a, it's a sound uh, financial strategy. It's a great idea. And the biggest risk, I think, is um, that there's not going to be something bigger that comes along. Yeah. And, and I should say that that is in, in addition to being for, um, you know, for the for women, it's also for people of color because yep. there was a an incident uh, at DreamHack. I think DreamHack Austin. I don't remember which one of the DreamHacks it was, where there was a Hearthstone player named Terrence M. who's who's black who got to the finals. And that was, you know, should have been one of the, the crowning moments of his life because the dream hacks are like below the one the actual tournaments that Blizzard runs are like one of the most prominent tournaments of the year. And Twitch chat just basically ruined it entirely. Like DreamHack has their own site that has the Twitch chat up prominently next to the stream. And there was just a stream of racism that the moderators were not equipped to handle. Yeah. And so that's another issue that not only does Blizzard have to address, but Twitch needs to address too, because Twitch is the primary uh, streaming partner for most of these tournaments. And even there was at TwitchCon, there was a panel on racism in esports, and that chat got overrun by the racism of the panel that's actually mm -hmm. discussing the racism that Terrence M was on. So yeah. there are a lot of there are a lot of problems that are keeping non-white males out of esports that this isn't going to address. But I think that in terms of being able to make this make esports more, you know, popular in the mainstream, I think this is a, a good step in general. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. What do people like if if you're starting up something where you want to have people that are different than the mainstream gamer and you want to make them feel included and safe, how do you market and how do you keep that environment? What should you have in place so that 
women, minorities, people that are different, dealing with different types of um, issues, if you're dealing with being blind or other things, so that you feel safe and that you feel like you can be included? What should they make sure that they've taken care of before that? Well, that's a really good question, Georgia. Um, I'm not going to name the name of the company. Okay, it's it's a uh, pop cap. And I was talking, I was talking to a friend of mine that uh, got an HR job uh, there, and you know, from the beginning, uh, you know, she was hired to come in and, and work on HR there, and they had a real pipeline problem with hiring women. Uh, and making it comfortable for other people. And I'll uh, just to abbreviate the story, eventually she kind of, um, frankly, threatened to quit. And then they said, what will it take for you to stay? And she said, I want you to put me into this system as a circuit breaker. Um, you know, I want to be the VP of culture here. I want to have a veto over hires, and I want to be able to give voice to things in meetings to say, hold on, we can't do it that way. Um, and because of that, I think you can look at, say, Peggle 2, which is a very, very, very inclusive game design. Uh, there's nothing in Peggle 2 that kind of, you know, signals that anyone is not welcome here. You know, they've kind of got the overweight gamer character, Berg. You know, they've got, um, I'm sorry, Jeffrey. They've got Berg, who is, you know, kind of a very effeminate character. Um, it really sends a message that everyone's welcome. So what I want to see from, um, from this league, from the word go, is they've got to make sure it's not all monster energy drink like starters and like razor laptops S my D you know which is an actual ad that came out this week you know they've got to they've got to have some people that are aware in there to kind of say no to some things does that make sense like it's it's not so often you know I was talking to a computer science department in Canada this week which by the way Georgia you have a lovely country I don't know what you did but it was. It was, it was, you guys are rocking it. Well, but they were talking about the CS department and how careful they were to not have a culture there that kind of said women weren't welcome there. And it shows in their number of women CS students. And it's, it's not complicated. You just don't, you, know, you don't bro it up, right? You don't, you know, have this kind of frat house culture that seems to be, you know, the default in games, unfortunately. Steve, you wanted to talk a little bit about Sombra? Yeah, do you want to talk? I, I'm I'm curious what you what you two thought of her actually because I I thought the Sombra reveal was really cool, but I'm really interested as to what. So Sombra's a new a new character is going to be added to Overwatch. Who is a who is a hacker? She's introduced by trying to break into uh, some Russian installation with Reaper and Widowmaker, and then totally goes double agent on them, and ends the ends the video with uh, booping the target in the nose. Uh, before she escapes, so I, I was curious what you what you thought of her as far both as a character and and you know gameplay and also just as the character in the game. So I have to be honest with you, Steve. I only saw the reactions to that, and uh, so this is um, uh, my. I know that a lot of friends of mine that were Hispanic were very excited about her character, but that's really the extent I saw about it. So I mean, what did what did you all think? I think that it's great. I think that it's great. Um, but I would love to have more characters that have different body types. I think that it's still um, something where everyone has these really beautiful, perfect bodies. And I, I think that it would be nice to see a variety in that. And that's for, for the women and for men as well. 
um, because even male characters now are becoming more and more beefed up and, and more perfectionized. And the characters that are the bad guys or the characters that are useless or not as intelligent also have, you know, differing body types and it plays up to stereotypes. So that would be the only thing that, you know, it's, it's wonderful and it's a step in the right direction and that's great. Um, but I would love even more variety. It really, it serves a gameplay purpose too, Georgia. I mean, Overwatch, have you played Overwatch before? No, I haven't. So, so it's amazing. But the thing is, you have to be able to distinguish a character at a distance instantly to be able to figure out what you're going to do with it. So like Reinhardt has a very, very distinctive shape and you know, to their credit, Diva, you know, she has a more, um, you know, kind of what we've come to think of as the typical body type, but she's in this giant, like, you know, kind of wadly mech suit, right? But the problem is because so many of these characters don't have the silhouettes that are different from a distance, it has gameplay consequences too. So I'm completely on board with what you're saying. Like Zarya, that is, it doesn't just serve a diversity purpose. It serves like a functional purpose too. And Overwatch does so well at representing different nationalities. I just think that this would be a really good next step they could take. Yeah, I, I guess I should point out they have May also, who is also um, not a stick thin uh, woman like like someone like Widowmaker or Tracer or someone like that too. It's probably better than most games, which is not a high bar. <laughs> you know, it would be less that they're doing that in this game than in something else. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. It's not the worst game out there. Um, I just, but I agree with you, Georgia. I thought the design was a little bit more of the same. Yeah. I don't want to talk about I'm, I just want to say one thing about hearts about the Hearthstone expansion, which is that there's a piranha cannon as one of the cards now. So, yeah, <laughs> oh I mean, haven't you ever wanted to shoot piranhas at people? Um, I'm married yes. to Frank Wu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I just I just you know, that's one of the things I love about the game is just that it's it's whimsical and it doesn't take itself seriously. And I love the the like film noir, like gangsters, gangs of New York theme that they're doing with the new expansion. So, Steve, I have a question for you. So if yeah. you could play professionally, would you be fully in on that? I wouldn't quit my job for it because I know what the, you know, it's like it's like any other professional sport. It's like if you are good enough to be the the 0.01%, then you can make a lot of money. But you have to have a lot, a lot of luck and a lot of skill on top of that. And I just, you know, it wouldn't make sense to me as, a, as opposed to having like a, a career like I have that I know is sustainable for the next you know, 20 years or so, as opposed to something where if I just drop off a little bit and I lose my edge a little bit, then all of a sudden I'm trying to figure out what I need to do with the rest of my life. You know what I mean? So, so Brie would, Brie, so you would, you would not, you would do it maybe a little bit, but probably not leave your job for it. Bree, yeah. would you play Peggle professionally? Oh God, that's such a good question, Georgia. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I'm 39 now. And I think that when you get to 39, uh, something you have to learn to do is to not walk through every door that's in front of you. So something I think about a lot is, you know, money doesn't motivate me. It's like, what do I want to accomplish between now and when I die? So, um, as much as I love Peckle, um, you know, the stuff I do right now makes a difference in people's lives. Um, so no, I, I don't think I would do that. I, I love Peggle, but I wouldn't, no, no, I wouldn't quit my job for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I play Hearthstone at a relatively high level. I mean, I'm generally ranking in the top half to one half of a percent to 1% of players. 
um, which is not good enough to be playing professionally, by the way. But I don't do that because I want to play professionally. I just do that because I like the feeling of, you know, having something that I'm skilled at. You know what I mean? And 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 knowing that I am good enough and being able to play something at a high level, you know, the same way that that, you know, you'd be playing a fighting game or doing martial arts or anything else, that it's a hobby that I know that I'm good at and I can exhibit that skill. But I don't think I would want to turn a career out of it. I think it would. I think the problem is that once you get too much of a good thing, like it becomes your job. And then I think you lo- you lose a lot of the joy from it. That's actually that's actually completely true, though, because once you start getting paid for something, it becomes an extrinsic motivator. So both, you know, you might actually not even like Peggle and you could slowly start liking Hearthstone because it becomes something you have to do instead of when you want to do it. Yeah. And I see that with a lot of streamers too. Like I see some streamers who are like really negative on stream because they don't, they're, they're very clearly tilted and they don't want to be playing anymore, but they know that if they stop streaming for the day, then they're going to lose a whole bunch of viewers, which means losing subscribers, which means losing money. So they keep forcing themselves through it. And it just becomes like they start really getting very salty about the game. And I, I, I do get frustrated with the You're game occasionally. So salty, Steve. I'm I'm already I'm already so sweet as it is. I wouldn't want to mar that. Uh, but you know, it's like I don't I I have my days with the game, but I, then I can just turn it off and walk away and go do something else. And and if it's your job, you can't do that. You just kind of have to fight through it, and that can kind of turn into a vicious cycle after a while. But I mean, that's any job, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, what do you yeah. really want to accomplish with your life? Um, I mean, I think you'd have to really see where the economic stuff went to. Like, if you're a professional um, baseball player, I mean, even that amount of money cannot sustain some 20-year-olds that you know, go right. out and make that millions <laughs> of dollars for a few years. I'm serious. Like, you, yeah. you look yeah. at what happens to them afterwards. Yeah. It's very scary. So, yeah. Football um, players in particular, yeah. Yeah, I would yeah. say, would I want on my tombstone stone to be written brianna Wu played professional pebble for a few years no like that's not yeah. that's not what i want my wikipedia but it wouldn't to be. be that so, bad yeah it wouldn't be that bad georgia no so yeah uh. all right all right <laughs> she beat frank Wu this many times <laughs> uh, but you know what is not that bad and actually is really really darn good is a uh, braintree and this episode of disruption is brought to you by braintree which is the code yeah. for easy mobile payments um, so by next year, even maybe next week, there could be a whole new way to pay. Maybe it'll be the next Bitcoin or the next Apple Pay or maybe even both. But fortunately, Braintree's full stack payment platform is easily adaptable to whatever the future holds. So you can adapt easily too. you can accept everything from pounds to PayPal to that next big innovation from any device with just one integration. And when that new payment method comes out, all you'll have to do is update a few lines of code. Uh, Braintree's code is elegant with very clear documentation. It supports Android, iOS and JavaScript and their SDKs and all kinds of languages, .NET, Node.js, Java, Perl, PHP, Ruby, and even Python, Brie. And and so you have no late nights, you have no complicated recoding, you have no stress about staying ahead of the curve, and Braintree Payments is here to help. So go ahead and check it out at braintreepayments.com slash disruption. And once again, that is braintreepayments.com slash disruption. Thank you so much to Braintree for their continued support of disruption and all of Relay FM. Thanks, dudes. So, Georgia, you want to tell us about being uh, terrified in VR? <laughs> yeah, so here we go. So we've spoken a lot about how VR can be helpful for people that are dealing with fears and phobias, and it's here. So I have tried out one of the new games that are there to help you with a, would be like a mock in vivo exposure uh, to help deal with your fears. So this would deal with, you have a fear of spiders or the dark or heights or 
um, any other simple phobia. I think that phobias such as um, OCD, uh, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, social anxiety, I haven't tried those out. Those are a little bit more complex. The same thing for driving phobias. Airplanes are in the mid-range. Those ones are going to be out right now. So this one is called um, Fearless, and it's really quite interesting. So I tried it out, and I, because this is what I do for a living, I'm relatively critical about them. And so what happens? So say that you come in and you have a extreme fear of spiders, which is an exceptionally common fear. And that's what this, what the first set for Fearless is, is dealing with. So usually what happens is we talk about the fear, we rank it, and we find out what. Then we go through, and this is the part that the game is missing. We go through different decompression, calming exercises of what happens when you're exceptionally anxious. So that we're not just going through an exposure. And an exposure means that we are increasing your levels of anxiety and then letting you learn to lower your levels of anxiety while whatever you are scared of is still there. It could be a picture. It could be a GIF. It could, or GIF, if you rather. Um, could be a picture of President Trump. It could be. It could be. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. If that, is, if that is what your fear is, that is what it could be. Um, or it could be an actual, the actual object itself. So the cool thing is, so I put my, the goggles on and this one is for a spider phobia and you rank your levels of fear. And it starts off with a very cartoony picture of a spider. And in the VR environment, you are sitting for this game, you're sitting at a desk and there's a screen in front of you that shows the pictures. And the great part about it, it's really quite well done is that it tells you beforehand what's going to be happening, which usually is what I would do in session. And it also tells you in between. So it shows the picture of a very cartoon spider. And you deal with that. And you're like, oh, okay. And it's on the screen. And you're like, okay, fine. How much did that scare you? Okay, are you ready to go on or are you not ready to go on? And it tells you what would be the next step. And then it might be um, a spider, a little less cartoony, more realistic. And then it would be a moving spider on the screen in front of you in VR. So you're in VR in a room and it's on the VR screen in the VR room. Um, it's a little kind of inception-y. And then it tells you to do some breathing to calm down. That's a little bit weak just because it's one technique that for some people breathing will help them and it'll make them calmer. But for some people that doesn't work. I'm not going to get into why, but there are some reasons that that might not work for someone. And then you get to have a spider at the desk where you're sitting that moves. Now that, and they tell you what it's going to be like. They're like, listen, it's going to start on the left-hand side. It's going to crawl to the right-hand side. It's small. This is what it looks like. And then it happens. Now, interestingly enough, I have no fear of spiders, but I did find it a little bit startling to have this little spider crawling on the desk in front of me. And it was pretty interesting. I can see how this would be very effective in lowering your level of fear with spiders. And then they would grow to be bigger spiders. Now in this set, it's just started right now. You're not able to actually touch the spider and have it like crawl on your VR hand as of yet. But I would expect that that's where it's going to go to so that you feel really comfortable with it. And it's done at your own pace, which is really nice. And so I think that for me, in between my steps of doing videos and then bringing in an actual spider, this would be amazing. And that's what I do. I actually bring in a real spider and then we, the poor spider scared to death. <laughs> We're like, you know, yeah, it's like the poor spider. I don't spider, feel bad like, for that spider. 
the person feels better. The spider is absolutely terrified. Um, so I feel bad for the little spider. We don't damage the spider, though. But, you know, it's like, please get me out of here. And then we're actually moving the spider along my hands first. And then they they kind of put a finger in and let the spider crawl on them. So between those steps, I think that that would be it would be really effective. Hmm. So here's the I have a whole bunch of questions, but um, so I would think and, I, you know, I've never gone through any kind of desensitization treatment. And obviously you do that for a living. I would I would imagine that part of what helps the person who's going through that is that the therapist is there with them, reassuring them when they're with the thing that they're being desensitized to. Right. Isn't that like Mm -hmm. considerably more difficult if you have a VR headset that is blocking out your senses on your, on your face and over your ears? Well, they, they, he does have a calming voice. The person, there's someone that's running you through it and they're, they're speaking very calmly. I think that you're right. This is not, I don't think that this would be as comforting if the phobia was very strong to be able to do all alone. I think that even the thought to do it all alone would be really frightening and maybe too much. Um, and that's that's one of the things that you get to do is that I can also, so I can read when I'm doing the therapy one-on-one, I can read the body language of the other person. So they don't even have to tell me this is too much or I'm not feeling comfortable. I'm able to read that because we've already been through this together. And so I can pull something away or say, okay, let's take a little break or let's talk about this or deal with a different distraction technique before they've even thought about that, which will stop their limbic system for running into fight or flight on its own. Often people with a fear phobia might stay submerged into a fear phobia technique for longer on their own. And they wouldn't pull themselves out, which can actually make them feel worse than better. And so that's also one of the pieces that would be lacking in doing this through VR besides doing it with um, in session. But it's also much cheaper than doing it in session with someone. So it would depend on how bad that is. Yeah, I don't know, Georgia. Um, you know, I've, I've talked pretty openly on our show about you know, being in really serious, you know, PTSD therapy. And, you know, some of the stuff I find is... And I, I hope this isn't an overshare, but I I get really, really, really activated uh, some days. Like we, we very specifically don't do therapy on days where I have professional commitments afterwards because there are some days that I am just shot for the entire evening. I'm a, I think people know I'm a pretty tough person. I went through Gamergate. This isn't willpower. This is like working through phobias. So mm-hmm. I, I have to be honest and say, um, I'm sure this could help some people. But for me, um, I, I can barely handle this stuff with the, with the therapist right there. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And this wouldn't, I think that you're, it's a really good point, Brie. This would be for a simple fear of phobia, not if you've been attacked or it's an emotional injury, that could be actually, I think that you're right. It could be really dangerous for people because there's no, there's no talking about it afterwards or there's no going through what the emotional experience was to that. Yeah. Well, there's no knowing what your limits are because the thing I find is, you know, I have kind of a soldier attitude to stuff like, let's go, let's do it. Come on. Let's, this is uncomfortable. I don't care. Let's do it. And that tendency is super counter um, counterproductive for me because it mm-hmm. ends up like I take on stuff that gets me so activated 
that um, I'm unable to process any of it. Does that make sense to you? So this this makes a lot of sense to me. And you know, like for instance, I am scared to death of cockroaches. Um, when I was very young, um, we were getting ready to put Halloween decorations out, and I fell into a cockroach nest. And I had oh thousands of them crawling all over me. I mean, to this yeah. day, if I see one, I run across the room and start freaking out. Maybe this would be you know more appropriate for something like that. But um, yeah. I, I, I guess it's like that Facebook um, therapy thing. Like, I don't know if you know this, Georgia, but Facebook has like this therapy product it promotes where you just DM with therapists and it's cut rate. And I'm really hesitant to like really recommend that to people because I just can't imagine it being as effective. Does that make sense? No, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. Like this would be for someone that has a mild to moderate, like even for someone that has a severe spider phobia, I think that this not having someone else to be able to go through it with and talk about it with might be too much. But if you have a mild to moderate discomfort, dislike to avoidance to say, you know, again, a simple fear phobia, even the complex fear phobia is like if you're dealing with um, social anxiety or, or an OCD, which has many more variables to it, you could go down the wrong path and you would never even know because you don't have that basis to that. And then it can be something that could do harm instead of doing help. And, and I guess this is less of a concern than, you know, messing up your brain, irrevo- ir, ir, you know, irreversibly. But could using this, using something like this, that's, you know, without the supervision of a therapist, couldn't that also create like a negative association with VR in general? Like, I don't know what's oh. going to happen to me when I'm when I'm inside this thing and I'm just staying the hell away from it, you know, because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's a very interesting thing. I was watching um, I was watching some games that I was wanting to get for VR, and I was thinking that exact same thing, that, you know, games that have a lot of jump scares or really scary, being submerged in VR, it's so much more frightening than that. And I'm like, you know what? I would love for if games tell you how many, like how scary it's going to be into the game beforehand, because I'm like, I don't feel like going through that. There's some, some days I just want a game where it's like, happy, relaxed, fun, exploratory, and I don't have to worry that something's going to jump up behind me and scare me half to death. And I think that that can cause a negative reaction to trusting VR because you don't know which game's going to be there. And for some people, they really want it to be scary. But I think that that should be part of the labeling on the games. The same thing for the VR. You have to be really careful. And that's why I tested out the game first. This one is done with an actual psychologist that has looked through it. It's, It's quite straightforward. I might There might be a couple of things that I would suggest to change, but it's quite good and quite systematic and slow in which its steps are done to that. I think that the cooldowns in between could be uh, beefed up a little bit, but it was an actual therapist that worked through that. But I think that for other things, I think that therapy without being there with someone that's really trained and hopefully specialized in what you're dealing with, you know, you can go through bad therapy. You're never going to go back. Or it could make you feel worse and and just less trustworthy after the experience too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I think that's well said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing the Resident Evil trailer at E3 this year and thinking. I think I actually said on Twitter out loud, like, "This is this is like the one thing that you show me to never get me to put on a VR headset ever." Because yeah. like, I yeah. don't know why anyone would want to go through that. But again, I don't understand horror as we learned last week. So you know, it's that's more I on like me than horror. on anything else. But you know, it's, see, I yeah. like horror, but VR. It's it, and jump scares and other stuff like that. Like my levels of anxiety will just skyrocket. 
And then I'm kind of shaky for the rest of the day. And I'm like, you yeah. know what? I don't need to deal with that. That's that my just problem. doesn't make you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I would I would say one more thing out here, Georgia. And I just want to preface this by saying this is your profession, not mine. And you undoubtedly have a smarter perspective on this. But for me, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about AA. And, you know, there's been a lot of science that's come out lately that has shown that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is not the most um, scientifically um, optimal um, solution to getting people sober. I've been to rehab. I've talked about my experiences with that a lot on on this show. And, um, you know, the way I always feel when people talk about that and really kicking AA because it, it does involve God, even though, you know, people can say, um, you know, AA is my higher power rather than naming, you know, the Christian God or, you know, like, um, you know, other religions. Um, the way I always feel when liberals start blasting that is I have been in Mississippi and I've been to AA meetings in Mississippi and I've seen the people that have been helped by that in Mississippi and I know the, the the chances of Mississippi opening some grand non-secular um, addiction like, you know, um, center there to help, you know, the explosive problems with addiction in that state are non-existent. So if they will, you know, as a state and, you know, kind of donate resources towards AA, um, even if they are, you know, um, secular – I think that, you know, sometimes the perfect is the enemy of the good. So it's just like your anxiety videos, Georgia. Like, ideally, someone should go work at that with a therapist. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we live in a a world where people are very constrained by money. You know, sometimes I've I've talked to people that have wanted to get help with, say, you know, transitioning. And, you know, they don't have a gender specialist that lives anywhere near there. And they have needed to do Skype and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I... I, I don't want to be super judgmental about this if it can help people. So yeah. yeah, 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 it can. But I think that you're right. We need to have many different. I think that a lot of the new treatment programs are trying to be more inclusive to people that have differing beliefs because if it's not your belief, then right away you've already created a block. So you're dealing with something that's, um, you know, you're dealing with a really strong addiction, and there's a lot of neuronal wiring that's set up for that because you've had it for a certain amount of time. And then if we throw in a piece of the healing process that's supposed to make you feel better and it's not part of your belief system and you can't, um, like, you know, grab hold of that, then already you've stuck a block in front of your process to being able to get better. And so if it's part of your belief system, awesome, that works for you. But if it is not, now we've actually made you the chances of you getting better less. And we're much better aware of that now in psychology. It's the same reason that if you don't feel comfortable or like your therapist, this is not going to be a great experience for you and you should go and find another therapist. You hate them. Even if they have the best of techniques, you've already created a block to that and it's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's just then you should find someone else that you feel a certain amount of comfort with and you shouldn't feel too comfortable with your therapist. They should also allow to push you a little bit in areas that you may not want to go on your own. And so, you know, sometimes people stay too long with the therapist and they they just feel like friends and that's not the right placement for therapy. And then sometimes they have this antagonistic relationship with them. And then that's already started up cognitive dissonance. You're just not going to be able to deal with the same treatment. You're not going to share the same way if you wouldn't. Fantastic. So do we, do we have some questions? 
We do. <laughs> we do. And I we actually have one that's very appropriate for what we just finished. So I think I'm going to start with this one uh, from Stephanie, who wrote us in and said, uh, so I like I like going through the phobia list from time to time. And I ran into this phobia and I'm going to try to pronounce this and this is going to be entertaining for everybody. Uh, Hippo. Pata monstro sesquipedialophobia. No, that was terrible, but I'll put it in the show notes because I probably butchered that terribly, uh, which is the fear of long words. Uh, so my question to you is why on the world would they name the fear of long words as one of the longest words ever? How do you think they decided to create the name for it? I feel like they're afraid to even say what they're afraid of. I also think whoever created this name did it on purpose and was bored and decided to combine whatever came to their mind to make the word. So, Georgia, defend your uh, <laughs> defend your profession in naming it this. <laughs> oh, you know what? I have no defense to this. It seems absolutely cruel i and yeah like you know like there's some of it that you can get why it would be you know like you know word hippopotamo monstrosos you know monstrosity large and then the phobia part um i you know so i guess you know they they use the latin and then they added it all together but it seems un like cruel to have um that as as the name of a fear of the fear of phobia of long words you can't even say because that would make you feel fearful in and of itself often people in a field will name things things so that they it can make them feel like they're all educated and and deal with that (laughs) something that only they can deal with um thank the lord that i didn't have to go through phobia names and spell them out for um my tests (laughs) yes my dyslexia that would have well, that especially if they had numbers in it, Georgia, like that would really would, not work yes, out. Yeah, well. numbers yeah. in it, I would yeah. be done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So between your <laughs> dyslexia and my pronunciation issues, like we're we're a hell of a pair to be dealing with this one. But right. oh, I, mean, I have to right. say, like, I mean, this doesn't surprise me at all. Have you ever met a graduate student or somebody working <laughs> on their dissertation? Of course, they're going to do this. They don't. They don't care. <laughs> they hate everything. They're getting paid nothing. You know, they well, just want their they're diploma. They're in debt by then, and they've gone yeah. through all of these horrible tests, and yeah. so yeah, they're, you know. they're like the professional gamers of higher education. They're they're trying to get revenge. Like <laughs> this is about revenge. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so we have this one that we didn't get to last week, uh, that we can, that we can tackle. And then we'll get, we also put out a call to all of you to send us emergency questions that we'll try to get through as many as we have time for. But, um, we have this question from Al from Twitter who says, I'm a cis male and work in a primary school. And at a recent parent teacher quiz night, a colleague who's male was straddled by a female parent who made sexual comments until he left as the other guy, the only other guy, I'm not sure how to proceed. He's uncomfortable making an issue of things as I'm sure many women are in similar situations, but the incident has seemingly been brushed away. How should we deal with this? Primary education is one of those odd careers where men are the exception, but regardless if the situation had been reversed with a male parent and female teacher, I feel like things would have been escalated. How should we as men deal with this sort of situation without it being twisted into some sort of anti-feminist situation in which we're seen as saying this happens to us too? Well, I mean, I would say, first, I want to tell you your feelings are absolutely accurate. I mean, if it's as you described it, like, you know, it's not just that you you should do this for you. You should do this because, like, that kind of culture is not going to be good for anybody there. And, you know, I, I just want to admit this. I definitely see 
a double standard here. It's it's definitely rare, but I do see women making those kind of jokes sometimes, and it makes me deeply, deeply, deeply uncomfortable. So um, I want to tell you I believe you, and I think your instincts are awesome. And like the way you described it to us, I hear you and you sound credible, and I would say describe it exactly as you did to us. Like If you go into a situation assuming positive intent, um, you know, I think that sometimes translates just that trust with the person. Just build a rapport with them. Be open, honest, and direct, uh, but also be firm. Uh, you know, this is you know, you're not just going to be helping this situation. You're also going to help avoid other similar situations. So, I mean, Georgia, do you agree with that? Yeah, and I think that there is a double standard. Um, yeah, uh, even men that are that are. Um, well, the only word would be raped, um, are often, it's laughed off by other people. Like, you know, if a woman rapes a man, they're like, oh, women can't, men cannot be raped by women. And, you know, oh, you're so lucky. And it's laughed off in our culture. Uh. And it's, yeah, it's horrific. And it's exceptionally common. And that's why men won't go, go forward to talk about it because they're often belittled and, they're mocked and even unfortunately police officers don't often take that very seriously and they chuckle and laugh about this and so it's it's something that our cult we don't talk about we don't cover even in the media and it is um very few women that are sexually assaulted ever go forward and talk about it. And we're becoming better about it now because there's so much more in the press and women are feeling empowered. But this is not yet happening for men. And so it's it's a really difficult situation. So I can feel that that difficulty of how are people going to be dealing with this. But the only way is by talking about it. And I like, Bree, the way that you mentioned it, of, of creating rapport and saying something and letting people know we often worry so much about making others feel uncomfortable when they're doing something to us uh, that is is inappropriate that we don't say anything because we're taught in our culture that you should be polite and not make a scene and not be reactive and try to be cool. And we need to let people know that the proper boundaries and consequences of you have a right to be able to be to expect to be treated the way that you feel like you deserve to be treated. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, Steve, you can probably speak to this better than I can, but it's, you know, when we talk about feminism, it's it's not just women that benefit. It's about tearing down all these gender roles that don't work for anyone. And Georgia, you're dead on when you're talking about how men are raped and they get even less support than women. Like culturally, the police don't take it seriously. That makes my stomach churn just thinking about it. It makes me want to throw up. Um, and you know, like it doesn't, you know, the system isn't working for a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I guess I'd just say as a human being, I'm really sorry for the situation. That's just, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, this is one of the, just one of the things that toxic masculinity kind of makes worse, right? That, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and, uh, uh, there's a lot of things and it's, you know, it's a, the kind of thing that I've only learned, like, over the last couple of years, like, how many things that I've, you know, grown up believing were influenced by that. And this is just one more of them. So what do you mean by that, Steve? I want to hear more about that. You know, a lot of the feeling like when I was in high school that I was less of a less of a person because I wasn't dating anybody. 
You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. Um, You know, that if I wanted to, like, I was watching My Little Pony with my girls when they were, you know, when they were younger. And My Little Pony is, 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 I, you know, it's hard to, as a guy, you know, say that you watch My Little Pony without the brony jokes coming out. You know, those, those kinds of things. Yeah. And... And I mean, this is a, that's also a show that like re redid shot for shot, like the end scene of Star Wars in one of the episodes. So, you know, it's a cool geek show, but you can't really admit, uh, you know, publicly that you like it without those kinds of jokes coming out. So there's there's like a lot of things that you kind of end up getting like painted into a corner for fear of, uh, you know, how other people are going to react to you because of that. And, and you know, this is this is a very serious situation that you really don't even feel like you can report because you're going to not be taken seriously on a completely different level in a completely different way than a woman who is reporting a sexual assault would be, you know, not taken seriously, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think my little pony is such a great example of the double standard. I mean, I've never made fun of a brony in my life and it's because it's, it's cruel. It's just cruel. Like, I don't, I don't know where the idea came from that men are somehow robots that can't appreciate if something is cute. Like, I, that's like, it's so, it's ridiculous if you think about it. Like, they're like, half the world is supposed to look at My Little Pony and not go, that's cute, because it is. And I, I don't know. It's just, I see feminists doing this, the double standard. I just... I, I, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and it's yeah. like lots, of, and it's even just like little things. Like I had to think like three times before I bought a pair of shoes that were half pink. And it's like, oh, it's sneakers. Steve. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and then I was like, yeah. what am I, what am I doing to myself? Like who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like they're yeah. cool shoes yeah. that, that are half pink. Like what does it matter if I'm wearing pink shoes? But I had, I had like a, like a five minute discussion with myself before I bought them because they happen to be pink. You know, that type of thing that you don't doesn't even recur to you until afterwards that you're looking at it like, what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, which you're right. But you know what happens is that it stunts men's emotional intelligence, these type of questions, these type of stereotypes. And it's probably one of the largest issues I deal with in couples, probably like the third actually largest issue that I deal with in couples is um, a lack of emotional intelligence from one of the people. And more often than not, that's men because of the way that we stereotype and stunt the emotional growth in our boys. Yeah. yeah. And generally very, very viciously in like middle school oh, and yeah. high school. Like that's yes. that's sometimes yes. literally beaten into you. Those yes. types of those types of, uh, of things that you're supposed to believe. So, you know, luckily not me. I I escaped a lot of that in high school. It was just emotional bullying, not physical, but still emotional bullying is even is in many ways worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so. you know, that those kinds of things if you don't conform to that, it it becomes very apparent to you very quickly that you need to or else. So, right. and that oh. kind of sticks with you the rest of your life. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, you know, it, it's hard it's a hard cycle to break, unfortunately. I think the irony here is almost like, I mean, I don't know what kind of dude you're into, Georgia, but like Anthony strikes me as someone who 
it doesn't have a lot of those toxically masculine traits, right? Like Frank definitely doesn't. And the reason I love Frank so much, the reason I was so attracted to him is because he didn't bring uh, those things to the table, right? Like Frank is a, like you talk to Frank, he loves tanks and airplanes and 70s muscle cars. Like he's definitely masculine, but he doesn't have this um, insecurity, that goes along with it. And, you know, if, like, he needs to do laundry to help out our family, he has no shame about doing that. And it's one of the reasons I love him. So I think, like, ironically, it makes you more attractive, I believe, to many people in the opposite sense. And sex. a better yeah. partner. If you cannot emotionally connect to someone else, then it's going to become an issue and it's going to stop the um, progression of your relationship. And it's it's very harmful. It's really very harmful. Is there any way you can fix that, Georgia, or at least encourage people to grow? Like, how do you even deal with that? Because you know that what? seems a lot of, oh, it's so hard, right? And there's certain certain cultures are really strong for a blunted affect in men, and that that feeling emotions is weakness and vulnerability, and that becomes a real difficulty. Um, and so. It's it's hard. The first thing you have to to help someone with is realizing that this is important, that you need to be a whole balanced person. And part of that is your emotions. You cannot just let the analytical part of your brain, the part that's cognitive and thinks and deals with something, deal with every single problem. Because analytical problems should have analytical solutions. So if you've broken something, you know, don't you don't have to be upset about it. It's broken. See how you can fix it. If you have an emotional problem, you're really hurt that you broke it because you loved it and this was your grandmother's thing, then you want to deal with first the feelings and the emotions to that, and then that's where you get stuck. And so you end up trying to compensate, but in ways so a lot of people that that are blunted in emotional affect um, will turn to like drugs or alcohol or other things because they can't cope because then you don't know how to cope with emotions. So the, the good parts of emotionality is, you know, how to heal yourself and talk to yourself and validate you and validate others. And so the first thing is to understand what emotions, they serve a purpose in us. Our anger and our fear are there to keep us safe and protected. If we have cut them out of us, then we're not really safe and we're not really feeling protected and we're not really attuned to what our needs are met. And that's a huge, vast amount of problems. So the first step is always just psychoeducation so that we can, you know, teach why what was taught as the right way to be might not be the healthiest way to be. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's and kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I mean, it should say something that like I ha- I'm like this this shoe thing was like six months ago. And like I've done this show with with you with you both for how long? Like two and a half years yeah. of doing like all this stuff. And I still like sometimes have those kinds of moments. So that's how deep it goes. And yeah. it's just it's recognizing that that's what it is. And then being able to say to yourself, no, this is not this is ridiculous. What am I doing is kind of the first step. But you need to recognize that that's something that is in you so deep that you may not even be thinking about it until you start to question it. Well, I would even say that I wouldn't want to demean it and say it's ridiculous. I would want to say that this is not something that you were born with. This is something that you were taught to. And so being able to recognize it, you can say, this is something that has been put upon me that wouldn't be the way I would want something naturally because I think that this is a really cool looking shoe. And, yeah. and so try not to make it as a judgment call. I think that we're also really harsh and judgmental on ourselves when we make mistakes. But a lot of our mistakes are because of hurt and pain and, and issues that have happened to us 
And so it's it's tr- kind of shedding off those pieces and being able to 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 keep on a little bit lighter and a little bit more true to yourself because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Wow. Um, so I guess we should probably end with a, with a slightly lighter question than that. Um, so, and, and we got a whole bunch of questions this week and we will get to more of them, um, next week. Thank you so much to everybody who wrote in with questions at the last minute and and bailed us out. We have great listeners. We have great listeners. We do. You are, you are all awesome and we really appreciate every single one of you. Um, so we have one last question from Phoebe Z who writes, since the election is coming up and everything is awful, which fictional president of the United States would have your vote? Ooh, oh, Georgia, goodness. you got to go first. You got to go yeah. first. Me? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Come on. Uh, you've got, like, I went to Canada this week. I have to tell you, it was it was so nice. <laughs> like, okay, I want to tell you a story. I was, like, running. I was out for a run, and there was this dude that if we had been in America, I would have said to myself, oh, my God, that's a Trump voter. Stay away from that person because, like, they just had, like, on this hat and, you know, just the look. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right. And then they just came over to me and they're like, how are you doing today, miss? And just, like, opened up the door for me and we're so super friendly. And I was so relaxed the entire time I was in Canada. Like, I don't know. So you have good judgment here is my uh, message well, for you, Georgia. Yes. Okay. Well, I've liked Morgan Friedman um, as a president once, but I think that. I really enjoy the discussions and the talks and the demeanor of Bartlett, President Bartlett from the West Wing. I just like the fact that they go through a lot of issues that we're going through now. He tries to be a good person, um, tries to do the right thing, and would make me feel safe and comfortable to that. I I feel bad because I would love to choose a female president, but... I have, cannot think of one right now. So, but well, President have, Allison Taylor from season uh, seven and eight of Twenty Four. I said I didn't watch season seven or eight of Twenty Four. Oh, so. oh, oh, okay. okay. Uh, so I am going to go with Julia Louis Dreyfus from Veep. <laughs> Because I, for, well, first of all, I don't have much of a much of an array to choose from, but she is like Selena Meyer. She's generally just let down by the complete incompetence of everyone around her. But the way that she can flip from being just dealing with the most mundane, ridiculous BS to just flipping and going to p- being presidential on the on, you know, the turn of a dime and getting things done despite all of the idiots around her. Um, I think, you know, she's. I, I love that show anyway, and I think that she would get my vote. Really? Awesome. Yeah. I think we have really different interpretations of that character. <laughs> That's not how I feel about her at all. I'm like, oh, she's terrible. I, I, I mean, I think that she's <laughs> yeah. in over her head, but I think she yeah. does, she rises to the occasion despite everything that's going around, going on around her to, like, the best of her ability. Like, most people... <laughs> yeah. In honesty, I have one person to choose from, so I'm defending my choice because I haven't. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I could name another fictional president, so that's why I'm trying my best to make this sound positive. <laughs> no, no, no. Her character is yeah. like it's like they got the Onion articles with like Diamond Joe, <laughs> like you know, like oh, all the like Mayor Quimby, basically. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they've got this. So the Onion's version of Joe Biden is like yeah. Joe Biden shut down from his illegal tours of the White House. Diamond Joe or like you know like that's her character 
Like, like she has no idea what she's doing. So, okay, yeah. I, I'm she'd so still do a better job than most of than most of the people who are, okay. you know, who are, who are running in this election. So, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, I I have multiple answers to this. So, because I'm such a Space Channel Five um, fan, I have to say Space President Peace, right? Because the only thing cooler than the President of the United States is the Space President. Right. Like that's even more awesome. So so they would be that. Uh, so obviously, like I know more about 24 than anyone. So I watched that. This is my show. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, President Allison Taylor, like she fell flat. Uh, President Logan was ter- was terrible. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think I would have to go with. Oh God, I'm blanking. What's his name? The the uh, Palmer, President Palmer, uh, oh, from yeah, season yeah. season one, two, three, four, mm. and for half of season five, uh, he would be spoilers the best president. I think, <laughs> yeah, spoilers. He doesn't. Uh, uh, some bad stuff happens, Steve. Yeah. I don't want to. In twenty four, I have a hard time believing that. So, like, if you add it up, like, pretty much every president dies on 24. Like, they did, like, President Logan. Like, if you add it up, all of them die eventually. Like, it's just, it's like it's like super spoilers. Years. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, if there's a president on 24, they're going to die. You'd think one so of them know. would meet yeah. Kiefer Sutherland and just resign. Yeah. yeah right, that's true. That. Kiefer Sutherland that. is in your world, uh, yeah. and your president. You should run for it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Escape. So so who who wins in a fight, the space president or the space pope? Space pope. Okay. Like, come on. Like, that's uh, got to be it, Steve. Mm, the like, space pope definitely has the cooler outfit. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, also, I don't think the space president is a lassie, so they don't have, like, the brand or are able to harness the power of Ragnarok. I'm sorry, I'm a geek. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. Don't judgment. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, I talked about Hearthstone. You can go into Final Fantasy for for thirty seconds. It's okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> we all have our faults. We do. We do. <laughs> uh, so I think we should probably wrap it up there. And um, Georgia, you want to tell everybody how to, or you want me to do that? How you to tell that. everybody how to get? You okay. always do that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's probably better than that. Well, actually, Micah usually does that, but you know, we've we've kept him locked in the basement this week, so I have to do it. Um, so you can, as always. Um, you can find the show notes for this show and every show at relay.fm uh, slash disruption. And you can also you can send us your questions. You can DM our Twitter account, which is underscore disruption FM, or you can um, you can email them from the contact form on the uh, on the website or you can call in your voicemails. And we have not gotten a call in a while, but you can go ahead and call those into 508-418-3532. And we will play those on the show as well, assuming that they are uh, sufficiently pithy. And uh, you can, of course, find all of us on various places on and around the internet. I am uh, at Wicked Good on Twitter. And Brie, where can people find you? Well, next week, uh, I can probably announce this uh, by the time that this show goes live. Uh, I will almost certainly be in the press pool uh, this week on election night getting to cover Hillary Clinton. Uh, so, yeah, that's the way it's going to be. It's going to so, be CNN. So do they just follow you on Twitter to do that? 
Uh, who? Like, like Hillary? She doesn't follow me on Twitter. <laughs> how, do we, how do we get your dispatches from the press pool? If you want to see that, um, I will announce the publication I'm working for soon. Uh, but you can see me at Space Cacto. You can get all of the stuff there. But yes, very Bra- Breaking Brianna Wu news you can get yes. at Space Cacto. <laughs> yes, very excited about that. And Georgia, where can people find you? If you're dealing with anxiety, um, depression, uh, family issues, you can check out anxiety-videos.com. And if not, you can check me out on Twitter. It's at Georgia underscore Dow. And you can also find uh, Micah at, at Micah Sargent on Twitter. And um, that's it. So go, go. We're done. We're done. Go. Before we set the space pope on you, go.